I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to Stan, the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. This is part two of our talk with John Higgins. John Higgins, who is now retired from game officiating, was one of the most well-regarded, well-known, and by fans, I think, disliked officials in college basketball. And if you listen to part one, you'd know why, because he wasn't scared to make the big call on the road. He's got the sandy brown hair. And of course, he talked to us about his yoga pants and why he wore those. So there's a lot to him. I think you'll really enjoy part two, where we start to talk about uh, a little bit more about officiating and what he what he wishes he could change about the game, how he would do it if he put together a rule book. And does he miss it now with his first year where he's not officiating college games? What's it like to officiate in the Final Four? All these things upcoming. We had a crazy weekend in college basketball where Michigan State kind of out of nowhere figured it out for a day against Baylor. But the bigger one to me that's worth talking about is Bronny James. Bronny had five points, came off the bench. USC gets stopped by by Auburn. And I kind of circled around something which appears to be obvious to me. Now, are there other factors? Right, We don't have a control group, so we don't really, really know as far as a case study. The fact is, is last year at Sierra Canyon, Sierra Canyon wasn't very good. And when I say not very good, I don't mean they're below 500, but they played Notre Dame, Sherman Oaks, Notre Dame four times, lost all four times. Didn't beat any of the good teams in their league. And he had just an okay senior season. And I think, you know, Bronny, in his defense, handles all the pressure, all the attention quite well. But one of the things that's made him in is he's not really a leader. He's not a point guard doesn't really take command, just kind of plays. He's what I would call blend player. He blends in. He's a chameleon. He can fit in kind of anywhere. and He's fine at it. But considering that Jonathan Giovanni put him as the 10th rated prospect in all of basketball, that's not, that's not a blend player spot. And, and again, this is not Bronny's fault. I don't even think it's LeBron's fault. 
yes, LeBron James tweeted out that he's better than NBA players. He's not. It's not close. But he's also a dad. Right? That's how dads view their kids. I coach youth basketball, and when we get done with the tournament, without any, without any chance to breathe, I get a text from every dad, and they all want to know why their kid didn't play more, that their kid is awesome, their kid is special. That's part of what we do as dads. We love our kids. We try and protect our kids, but we also want to promote our kids, and we view our kids on a higher level than maybe even they're able to achieve. But the, the overhyping of him and the throngs of fans and all that, that stuff, I, I think it makes it harder for Bronny, but maybe even anything, harder for his teammates. I, I mean, like, there's no real case study there, but if, you, if we start with Sierra Canyon last year, and then in addition to Sierra Canyon, we go to, I don't know, this year's USC team. Like, they're not good, but they should be better than they are. And the, the question becomes, is one reason they're not as good as they should be because of all the hype surrounding Bronny James? I don't actually know the answer to that. But I can suspect that it doesn't make it easy. You know, it's just not. I mean, consider you're Boogie Ellis. You're in your fifth year as a senior. You're like Bronny James, a former McDonald's All-American. He's played, this is his third school. And he just wants to go out and hoop. Then you have Isaiah Collier, who I'm sure loves the extra added attention. And maybe it's that Isaiah Collier doesn't really guard anybody. Not a great shooter. I don't think he's the number one prospect, but that's how Gavoni had him rated. Others have had him rated that as well. It's one of the reasons I love college basketball. It kind of exposes what you do and what you don't do nearly as well. Anyway, point being that we, we don't know so much about what has made this USC team I guess you could say underachieved. But the, the truth is, they were a preseason top 20 team. They do have some talent. And yet you look at all the big games they've lost, you know, except to start the year when I think they beat K-State, but K-State was not whole at that point in time. And then, of course, um, they lost to Long Beach State at home, and Long Beach State is not having a great year. Dan Munson's under some pressure. And yes, it's, it was the biggest game for Long Beach State all year, considering his Bronny's debut and LeBron was there. But as we, we look to try and figure out, we know who's good, right? Arizona, Purdue, those teams are outstanding. UConn, uh, Kansas, Kentucky, most of the usuals. Oklahoma's a surprising team. I'll talk about them in a second. But to me, it's really interesting to watch how all of this hype affects Bronny James. And maybe more importantly, it doesn't affect Bronny James. He's used to it. He deals with it. He's dealt with it his entire life. It's how does it affect USC? Because it completely negatively impacted Sierra Canyon last year. If there's a surprise team in college basketball, it's probably Oklahoma. Now, they have 10 new players, but it should be pointed out that two of their returners, or their two returners, are their point guard and their center. So you do bring back some of your coach, your culture. But, um, you know, J.R. McCullum has, is just such a dynamic player as a combo guard, transfers in from Siena, and he's a guy who can take Milos off the ball and can also play two guard himself. I mean, they bring in Jalen Moore, who is a nice player, hasn't played a ton of basketball from Georgia Tech, play him at the four. You know, they play Owe at the three, or sometimes they switch the two. Owe is a great, you know, brother plays in the in the NFL and he's a dynamic athlete, albeit really fifteen feet and in is 
kind of an undersized three, four, if you will. They have a nice, they have a nice team. They bring up, bring out the bench kid named Darth Hard, who transferred in from Utah Valley, a great shooter. And they just have a nice mix of six, seven, eight guys. Now they have not been pushed. And if you look at who they've played, you know, on paper, normally Iowa, that's a heck of a win, right? But Iowa's down this year. Let's just be honest. Um, North Carolina is a big game for them as they play Wednesday on the road against the Tar Heels, who are old, who are experienced, with the exception of Elliot Cadu, who's a freshman who reclassified, but he's actually the age of a college freshman. I just, I look at Oklahoma and I think they're a surprise team, but I do wonder what happens now that they play. Remember, the, the, the tougher teams that they played, again, on paper, Iowa, USC, Iowa, not particularly good or down at least, lost four seniors from last year. USC, who we've talked about, it has been disappointing. And um, Arkansas, who, if you saw them against Kentucky, you think they're great. But if you see them on any other night, you're like, they're just okay. They lost a lot from last year. And playing a lot of young guys. Now they play North Carolina. And uh, then, you know, you get into league play, and it gets real. I think Oklahoma's pretty good. They're better than I thought. But I'm not sure how they handle the adversity of losing. Porter Mosier is a tremendous coach, and he's playing a different style, much more up-tempo, much more in-your-face defensively. But the question is always, what happens when the level of competition gets raised? Does a team that doesn't really have any sort of culture and structure because it's so new from last year, how do they do when they lose a game? We'll see. We'll see if they do lose in Chapel Hill. All right, let's get you to part two of All Ball with John Higgins. Well, uh, okay, so back in this time, we, you were, I mean, the one thing about the Big 8 back then, you couldn't fly at all these spots, right? So, um, well, give, me the, give me the hairiest trip you can remember from the old Big 8 day. Uh, it was probably on an ice road. It was two lanes back from Omaha to Stillwater, actually. Okay. Uh, just, there was two lanes going from here to, well, from Wichita to Oklahoma to uh, uh, Stillwater, and it mm-hmm. took like nine, ten hours on ice-covered roads, like two inches thick of ice. Uh, and, and actually, we left the night before and stayed the night in York, Nebraska. <laughs> and it was because uh, I knew it was, was going to be bad. And then it, there's snow and there's ice on the ground. It was brutal. I actually drove my truck, my four-wheel drive truck, and that was vehicles off the road everywhere. And I brought uh, the guy that works for me. He came with me. Uh, and it was, that was talking about treacherous. I got there maybe 15 minutes before the game started, but I worked the game. <laughs> hey, did you ever miss a game because of travel? Um, yeah, I have. Like flights are canceled. I was going to Fresno once and I got fogged up, fogged in and I couldn't make it. I, midway, they, Turned around, went back, and yeah, I missed. I've missed a couple of games, but not many compared to how many games I've done over my over my years. Missing games because of because of weather or, or or something happened to the plane. Only maybe a couple of times. The NCAA tournament. Now that's how you guys are truly evaluated. As you find out in terms of gaining respect nationally. When was your first NCAA tournament game? It was ninety four. Yeah, 94. And I was scared to death. 
Yeah. I was very young. I was only a couple years into it, two, three, four years into it. And I got my first call. I mean, back then they used to send you a packet in the mail, a FedEx packet. And uh, that was, that was crazy. Yeah. What was the game? It was a one sixteen game in Memphis, Tennessee in the old pyramid. Um, shoot. I don't even, I don't remember the teams. I remember I was with, um, uh, Dunaghy was uh, that Tim Dunaghy's dad, and I can't wow. think of the uh, can't think of the other uh, official I was with, but I remember Boomer Bang. Uh, Boomer Bang was there, and he was the observer, and he he saw he said you it looked like you had shit in your pants, son, <laughs> <laughs> and I did back then. You you were I mean you were scared. I mean the NCAA turn was a big you're a big boy, and once you once you get to that NCAA tournament you're like you felt like you've made it and now it takes a while to move from 116 game to a uh 8-9 game or 7-8 game or, or what have you but um uh, it, it's it, that was that was nerve nerve-wracking that's for sure now are, were you still going to the camps at this time or no. did you only go that hmm. one time i just went the one time yeah now nowadays guys go to 10 15 20 camps before they ever get thought of because it's very competitive there's a hundred there was 144 people at the NCAA Academy this year. There was a, you know, they put hundred guys at each camp and it's tough now that, I mean, it's, you get two, three, four guys out of that camp that you, you may hire and may have a chance to be good enough. And out of those, maybe one of those guys will ever, ever make it. It's so a, what it's do a competitive you, what, deal. Now that you're hiring, what are you looking for? What, what is your, what is your eye? What is your eye catch? Because the rest of us, we don't really know what you're, what, what we're looking, at, what we're looking at. Right. You know, it's I, I would say that a lot of people would just say like, "Hey, if I don't actually notice the referees, that's when they're at their best." But that's not yeah. necessarily what you're looking. For. What, what no. are you, what are you looking for? Uh, guys has guys. He looks the part number one. He's poised. He's consistent, uh, and he and he's and he can communi- communicate and toughness. If you talk to coaches, the one thing they say on at least what in my role now, one thing they they say to me is consistency, 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 and communication. That's it. That's all they want. Consistency and communication. Because they know we're going to kick calls. We're going to kick them and we'll do it both ways. And that's the way it is. Um, but that's what they want. And I want guys that, that fit that role. And I want tough guys too. I want guys that have courage to, to make the tough call in the tough situation. And it's tough to see that at camps. So you know that's why, like now, I'm I'm beating the beating the road and, and trying to find those guys at, at uh, in 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 games, and I'm I'm working it. It's not the easiest deal in the world, but we'll we'll, we'll get them. We'll find them. Okay. So um, your first Final Four was when? Uh, I was in Detroit. Um, two thousand and I don't know. I, I don't remember all that stuff. I don't have like a wall where I have all the final fours and all but, that kind but, of stuff. But, but it was Detroit. Okay. Yeah, it was what Detroit. Are you, what, what, how did you – okay, so this is not FedEx packet. How did you find out you're doing the final four? A phone call. Yeah, phone call. They call you and say, hey, we'd be interested in working the final four. Yeah, of course not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I remember I remember um, him, uh, John Adams coming and said, hey, just – no pressure. There's only um, 
you know, 70,000 people out in the stands and maybe 70 million watching on TV. I'm like, oh, thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> so you go through that motions. But once, you know, you know, once you get to that final four and, you know, and once the ball goes up, it's just, it's, it's another game, really. It's just another game. But now, is it harder spatially? Because, you know, when you when you, if you've been up on that court, it's a little different when you're playing spatially as a, as an official. It's the same. It's the same. It, it actually it feels like it's a bigger court. It really does. Yeah, it does. It just feels like it's you just have way more room everywhere. What about the difference of understanding the magnitude of calls late in games? I, I know that like. Look, if you're supposed to write a book, you're supposed to be consistent. You know, a call in the first five minutes is a call in the last five minutes. But, um, um, but I mean, you t- you t- there's been, you know, there's a call here, a call there, which, which can dramatically change the history of the sport. Mm-hmm. So what is, your, what is your philosophy on last five minutes or even last minute of a game, especially championship level games, in how you officiate them? Well, you know, that, that's a really good question also that the, you know, people say, you always hear people say, let the, let the players decide it. Well, uh, if a guy hits a guy in the arm on a shot at the end of the game, and it's not a much of a sh- hit to the arm, just brushes his elbow like they try to do. And you don't call it, guess what? That affects the outcome of the game. You don't call it, it you know, people say, oh, that's not much of a foul. Well, it is a foul. So if you don't call it, you're going to affect one team or the other. Um, you know, if you call it, it's going to affect the, the team that the foul was on. If you don't, it's, it chops away. So you just got to, you just got to call it as, as you see it, I guess. Um, and it's very difficult. You can't, the, the one thing I would say is don't get the big stuff. Don't let the little stuff, the stuff that's inconsequential go. I would say, you know, if there's something away from the ball, you could talk a guy out of, or, or you could, pass on it and and I would probably say that would be one of the things that you would you know you would try to do that uh you know it, or, or put a put a third foul in the first half on their best player or that's that's a gray area play that's that's something that you could pass on so you know so so you do know if it's a star player you do know like he's got two well you got to be smart but you're not going to pass on a on what's a legitimate foul. No, no um, question. You're not going to. But if you got say you have you, you have the star guy in there, and you, it's something that is is great. If you could pass on it without anything being affected, I think that's what you should do to keep those people in the game. Now, if you have the 14th player in the game in, and he's a knucklehead, yeah. and yeah. Um, it, it's like oh, coach, I said to referees all the time. Who do you want in the 13th, 14th player? Or you want in the, the 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 top five guy? Well, you think the coach would want, and you would want the best players in the game. So if you could kind of referee on that philosophy, um, that's you'll be better off in the long run. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. 
And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot of things that have changed over time. I would tell you one of the things that's changed for the worst over time is I think uh, you, t- you mentioned Steve Wilmer and we've, we, <laughs> you and I have discussed him who's just, just a delightful man. Right. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. always, I'm sure somewhere he's listening to this, p- hiking up his pants as we, as we speak. But I actually um, learned something from him. It was, so my first year I was at Notre Dame, we had Jim Burr and we had all those big East, East Coast officials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but when I went to Oklahoma State, I remember one time the ball went out of bounds, like off of us. And, but we, I felt like I got fouled. And it was a timeout. And I'm sitting there having a discussion with him. And he goes, Cut! I missed the foul. So I'm going to give you the ball, even though it's not your ball. Right. Which mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. good officiating. Right. Like mm-hmm. I screwed up, but instead of, I can't go back. So instead of going back, it's just going to be your ball, right? Yeah. But it's now with re- replays, it's really hard to do, right? It's it, it's yeah. hard. There's things you can't go back. Um, have replays made it better or worse from your perspective? My opinion, I think it's made it worse. Uh, just just because what you know, everybody wants the referees to be perfect when we're not going to be perfect because the players aren't perfect and the coaches aren't perfect. But they want us to be. They want us to be perfect. Um, you could do that now in a 20, 30 point game, in or the, especially at the end of a game. But with video replay now, if you don't get it right, everybody tortures you for getting it wrong. Um, so you, you, you. That's the part that's changed that I don't like. Is that you? That's why. That's how I was taught how to officiate games like that, like Wilmer would do. Uh, and all the top guys would do. They would do it that way. You know, if there's guys over the back a little bit, ball goes off his hand. They didn't. They didn't call a foul. Just gave the ball back. And that, just like you right. just said, that's that. I think that's, I think that's okay. But in in nowadays, with the video replay and everybody wants everybody to be perfect, it's 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 really really hard to do. Young guys can't. Young guys can't. Young guys can't do that. No, no, absolutely not. Um, um, the, a lot has changed. Okay, in, in this, in in the time in which the thirty years in which he became the most known ref in the country, um, I'd say the the charge on on the dribbler when the the guy's dribbling the basketball and he takes a little contact because the the charge under the basket has always been a bang bang play. It's always a hard one, and some of the evaluation of it has changed. But what as most changes, guys, you know, following like feigning, feigning goats, 
when they're uh, when you're driving. Um, how do you, what, what, what is your opinion of that? Because again, like you, you don't want the offensive player to do the Heisman and just clear out. On the other hand, it does feel like the defense is in many ways getting an advantage. And it's hard for the offensive player. What are your thoughts on that that type of play? It's funny you talk about that. We're we're in our in all of our we've had three now four teaching um, videos go out to all of our guys, and we're talking about this path. We call it a path play, where the offensive guy has a path to the basket, and the defensive guy is cutting this guy's path off, where he's really really not legal. He's on the side and not in the front of him, two feet facing the opponent, and there's some contact. So we're having a really hard time. We're putting way too many fouls on the offensive guy when there's a little bit of contact and he has an off his arm, his opposite his dribble hand, just out there to his guide arm or whatever you want to call it. And there's some contact. We're calling that offensive fouls. I think we're wrong on that play. And we're teaching that that in order for that defensive guy, like if I get my head and shoulders on the side of you and the defense is on the left side of me and I'm going past you that guy he's no longer in legal guarding position but we are bailing out the offense or the uh, uh, defensive guy by calling an offensive foul on a little contact I it, so we're teaching it where the defense has got to be two feet facing your opponent in front of them so it, on a primary defender we're talking about not second not the secondary defender which is going to be doesn't matter what how they do that it's going to be it's going to be, you know, whether it's a, it's it's the last plant foot or if it's the gather or any of that kind of stuff. It's not that's going to be controversial no matter what. But the other play that you're talking about is path plays, and I think over the last so many years we've been getting we've been calling way too many offensive fouls. Agreed, agreed. Um, that said, what is your favorite? You've mentioned all great reps have a little prick in them, right? What's your what was always your favorite? call to make you know in terms of the because i i've always i remember my first time notre dame won a big east game we played st john's in the garden and um they weren't very good they were it was that was felipe lopez cover sports illustrated and uh mahoney was the coach and they were getting booed at home and we weren't very good but we we were we were up the whole game and they went to a one, three, one late in the game. And I got really excited. I was just a freshman and I dribble over to the side to make like a fancy cross court pass to Pat Garrity for a layup. And I step out of bounds and I think it was Jim Burr and he goes and he touches the sideline, like bends down, touches the sideline and points the other way. <laughs> and, and I, I remember thinking to myself, if I was a ref, that would be my favorite one to call. The old touch the sideline and point the other way. But some like charge, everybody's got their own kind of signature flamboyant call. What was your favorite? Probably, I don't know. I always get shit for my block call or my offensive foul call. Uh, I, I get <laughs> shit on that from other referees. Not yes. Most people wouldn't notice it. But from yeah, other yeah. referees, they'd give me shit on that play. So on what, what, they, what, what do they say you do? What, what do they? What do they say? What's what's the Higgins? Like, oh, you did the Higgins. What's the Higgins? Well, I'm really slow at, at the black call, and then the other one, I would, I would just point like a like a. I would never. I wouldn't stop the clock with my fist, 
most of the time I would just I would just give a little like a, a like a little punch out to the offensive foul. Um, the other one I would give three point signal. Guys would give me crap about instead of going like three three point go like this. I, yeah. I would go like this with my fingers. So everybody did always made fun of me on that one. So okay. now that's changed the mechanic now where I, like my bosses would always say, hey, uh, you, you need to have some hustle, get to the table, run to the table when you report your fouls. I never did that. I always walked. I always thought it looked so much better and so much more professional when you walked to the table like you had full of confidence in your call. That was one of the things that I, they changed the mechanic now. Now every you can walk to the table now. So, uh, but the block yards play were probably the ones that were kind of my, whatever they call my signature uh, Higgins block charge play. Did you work on it on the mirror? Did you want it? Did you want to look a certain way? No, I just, it just evolved over the years. I think I used to, I remember I used to, when I used to do offensive fouls, I used to lift, call it and I'd lift my back leg up and I'm like, yeah, that looks like shit. I ain't, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> I saw it on TV a few times like, uh, let's just act like, don't, you don't have to oversell that play. So don't oversell it. And I would, and I didn't. So I, I was more slow and, and kind of laid back and I act like it was simple call. So it, so it didn't look like I was trying to sell the call. So. Got it. I'll tell you a couple things that have changed during your time officiating. One is um, the game has become so much more spread out, right? That you no longer you, you used to have a lot of hand fighting and pushing down low. Now mm-hmm. it's 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 a different game in that you have guys the shot goes up and because everybody's spread out, you have guys kind of sprinting to a rebound, right? And so it's the the angles are different. the The physicality is it's still very physical, especially on the boards, but in a different sort of way. Um, how has that changed how you officiate the game? Because the, like I said, the angles are different. The contact, like you know, guys are running in from the three point line to go rebound. So you kind of have a running start, if you will. How does that change what you do and how you do it? Well, you, you're you're right. Oh, every every single game play now is pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll up the uh, up on the key. Uh, and then once the ball goes up, you've got guys coming from everywhere. So you got to you got to have a broad vision. All three of guys used to be the Underneath guy would be the guy that would get the fouls on the on the rebounds. Now you got to have all three guys involved in that front court. You can't have that trail guy backing out and not being involved in the play. Because in a college game, you know the ball goes up. It, you know you, it's like a it, it's a two pit bulls going at it. It's six seven guys, eight guys going after the ball, and it's brutal. Um, where it used to be, you, you know, like well, opposite the NBA, the NBA guy ball goes shot up, you don't have six guys at the board. You just have one or two guys, and that's it. And there's a ball, and nobody follows anybody, and it goes the other way. In a college game, it is, it's, it's crazy. And if, you don't, if you don't widen your, your, your vision and, and watch the, just the rebounders and, and or, or where the ball's coming from or where it's going, you, 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 got, a, you got a big problem. But it, it's um, – uh, it's it, – it, you know, back in the day, we had advantage, disadvantage. You always heard that, right? Um, you have to – if you don't use that philosophy now in rebounding, you're going to – you can have a foul on every single play on rebounding in college. You can have it on every play. 
So you got to have an idea on where, you know, where's the, where's the rebound come from? Because you can call it on both offense and defensive guys. It's really hard. That's probably the hardest part of the game that's changed. I mean, it's got really physical as far as that part goes. The outside hand checking, we, we call that stuff. That's 10-1-4. We call that stuff. That's not nearly as physical. But the inside, when the rebounding part, I think is, is physical, really physical. The other part that, that has changed is I, I feel like it's as or more physical in the low post. And so in college basketball, I tell coaches all the time, like, I wouldn't throw it in there. You know, like I just because one, you know, the use of analytics, it tells you that's a that, that's not an efficient shot. But two, one of the reasons I think it's an inefficient shot is um, in trying to eliminate all of the hands. Guys are smarter now about using their bodies. And I would also say that, you know, when I when I first started playing high level basketball, I was taught about verticality. But there was a change. It was about 10 years ago when all of a sudden you guys started really actually allowing players to use verticality. Um, so again, the difference is it's, I think it's harder to score now because one players are better and smarter at not trying to block everything and they're using verticality, but two, they're also, especially in post play, they're kind of using their lower body what that you can't see. And it's really hard for big guys to score in there. What do you think of the, the changes in that one, the use of verticality and two, the physicality in the low post? Um, they've also changed where you could, you know, if the offensive guy, um, if the, uh, you know, the offensive guy's trying to back you down, you have the right as a defensive guy to use your form to, to hold them back. So, um, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> you're right about the, the defense and, and the post play. Because when two guys are coming together, it's hard to determine who has the who has the uh, offensive foul and who is um, uh, you know who who's committing the foul, the offense or defense. So who are you going to penalize? Um, you gotta you gotta first determine who initiated the contact. So that and that's really hard to do. If they come together and they both hit and they boom boom. Who are you going to call a foul on? You call a foul on one guy, one guy's going to be pissed off. You call the other guy, the other guy's going to be pissed off. So if it's equal pressure, it's if, it, if it's get it, it, it's it's about having excess pressure um, and displacing the offense or displacing the defense. If you can think of the displacement part of it, I think you could officiate the play fairly. I'm not, you know, I it's really really hard to take out. Um, if their two bodies are bumping, who who's who is in the right and who's in the wrong? Um, and it's very it's it's one of the difficult most difficult parts of the game uh, to officiate on you know who's legal who's not legal who's just who's displacing. It's really hard to dis- to determine that. When did you when did you change to the the like yoga style like the the stretchy pants. When did that happen? Ah, uh, you probably. I don't know. I went to uh, oh, probably ten years ago, nine years ago. Um, well, the pants back in the day were terrible. They were awful. Um, but now they're way much, way better. We, you know, I wear, I wear public recs or Lululemons for the last five, ten years, and they're so much more comfortable than the old Zanza belts. Uh, I mean, it's like night and day better. 
how did you not get any NIL out of this thing? Like if you did, I don't know. I should. Oh, I should have. I mean, you shut it down when you you should have had NIL. You should have. There's all these. You mentioned public rec. There's all these different brands of of those comfortable, movable. So okay. So what are the rule? What are the rules? You have to have all black sneakers and all black pants. Is there is there any rule other than I gotta have all black sneakers and all black pants and the pants have to come down, you know, to the shoe? Is that basically the, is that what what are the actual rules for official? You just have to have bl- black shoes, black pants, the regular NCAA shirt. Uh, however, there is a little tiny logo in the back. The manufacturer that makes that shirt is on the back of it. So I, you know, we proposed actually when you say that a year ago, some guys in that Southeast and ACC talked about. Getting their own, getting an NIL for referees, basically. So why can't if they can do all that kind of stuff? Why can't we put a logo on our shirt? But I, that hasn't come to nothing's come to fruition yet for those guys. So this call, this call is brought to you by Lululemon. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Amen. I mean, everything. You're right. Everything else is sold in, in the sport. Why well, are you we see selling Caitlin that? Clark on Caitlin Clark's on national ads on TV now? It's unbelievable. It's making a killing. Outside of, so so you, you went to him. Now, did do other refs come up to you or like? Oh, yeah. There's a bunch of dudes wearing them now. Yeah. yeah. And you were the first? I was the first guy that I know of. I mean, you can ask, you can ask a bunch of referees. And uh, I mean, I remember back in the day when I was a young referee, everybody wore those disgusting black, polyester pants from i don't know who oh, made them to i went why don't we it actually my brother-in-law it just owns a clothing store normally he went to i went to the pleated pants and people would oh they gave me some of the referees gave me so much crap but they were so more much more comfortable than they were yeah. uh now but and then all of a sudden welmer started wearing them and mike uh, tommy o'neill started wearing them and and now everybody started wearing these pleated pants and then now they've gone back away and gone to the straight pants and then that's yeah. when all the straight pants. I went to the to the uh, to the uh, Lululemons and, and public rec pants. Classic. Yeah, uh, you're a style maven, style maven, right? Because <laughs> uh, what's his name? Uh, was it uh, Forte? What he 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 changed the whistle, right? The Fox Forty whistle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was that was that, that's that's the only other guy I know who's known known for. Changing anything, changing the style. Any <laughs> yeah, changing, changing the style. Give me your funniest or most interesting, your best story for running a guy for throwing a coach out. Oh, jeez. Oh, probably, probably when Fran McCafferty we threw up Fran at Northern Iowa, and his wife. We had we. His wife, I don't know if you know anything about Fran and, and his okay, family. So, They're so just, very, very just competitive. So, just, just so you know, okay, so when I went to Notre Dame, uh-huh. Fran recruited me, okay, uh-huh. and his wife at the time, hey, Margaret, was an assistant on the women's team. She was the all-time leading rebounder at Notre Dame at the time. I don't know if she still is. But, right. but here's how they were just dating at the time. And what, ha- what would happen is we get done practicing – and Fran would keep, he would observe like their Muppet McGraw's practice. So I just, I mean, mm-hmm. like at first you're like, okay, coach to coach, you're watching. And then at some point I could tell what was up. And I was just <laughs> like, 
So <laughs> I, I believe, and you could ask Fran next time you see him. Yeah. I believe that Fran would tell you I was the first player to discover their romance. So yes, That's I know a lot funny. about their family. That's so, funny. Yes. So she. It's Iowa at Northern Iowa. And they weren't playing worth a, worth a damn. And uh, Paul Jansen and I, and I can't remember who else was on the game. I, anyway, I ended up, Paul got him the first time, and I, I whacked him and threw him out. He, now, he, you know how he does it. He, he starts going crazy, and uh, he's walking. Like, we're starting to do free throws you know, the other end of the court. Um, and... and that he's walking up and he's trying to he's trying to get to me still and the police are on, on him. Next, you know, his wife is coming after me, at, 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 <laughs> and I'm out there I'm like, it was the craziest thing in the world. I'm talking about ultra competitive people. Um, she is she's like um, uh, Greg Marshall's wife. She was competitive. I mean, she's the same exact same way. Uh, and we've I've run him before too, but. Um, but that was very – that was a crazy uh, uh, guy we, that we threw out. Now it's funny. We talk about it uh, at this last summer where we haven't been um, – it, it, it got a little crazy once in a uh, – uh, not an exhibition, but a close scrimmage at Creighton where, where him and I were about to go to fisticuffs. And I said, I'm, I'm out of here because he was with some – we're in a close scrimmage here in Omaha, and I told uh, – Rasmussen, the, the AD, and I told McDermott, I was like, you know, this last time I had him, it didn't go so well. He doesn't like me. And, uh, and uh, so he started in on it, and I was like, I'm in. I tagged in. He's in on our young, on some young referee. I'm like, shut up, stop. And he said, you can't talk to me like that. I said, I just did. And he says, you start, start the, the assistant coaches are, Holding them back. This is a close scrimmage. Hold yeah. them back. I said, let him go, boys. Let him go. And then Bruce <laughs> came out and Greg came out. And I said, I can't tell you what I said, but uh, it was, uh, it was, it yeah, was you fun. Can. It was, you can yeah. tell me what you said. It's I, I said, fuck him. I told you this was going to happen. Fuck him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but it, we talked about it this last summer when we visited in the camp. And again, well, you've talked earlier about, you know, inside of inside the lines is way different than outside the lines. And uh, we had a really good conversation about it. And then the, the other one was Bobby Hurley. This is a great story. So this is I went to t speak to their team this year and and to uh, preseason. Right. Like you go around to talk to coaches and players sure. and that stuff. So he introduces me and says, oh, this is John Higgins, final four referee and blah, blah, you know, all that crap. He goes. He goes, we're in their theater room. And he goes, hey, uh, before I uh, – we go into him talking about new rules and mechanics and stuff. He says, he says, um, he says I got to show you a video. And I remember I had the Arizona-Arizona State game where I threw him out. I was like 70 foot away. And then – and he – and kudos to him. He goes, boys, and after I whack him, show the first one, then whack him and run him. And he starts pulling off his coat and his shirt and his tie. And he goes, boys, this is not how you're supposed to act, just so you know. So kudos to uh, <laughs> kudos to Bobby Hurley. There, there, there's so many of them like that where, like, Fran, you mentioned Fran. Bobby's like that, too, mm -hmm. where, like, you, you sit and you watch with them, and they're just so calm and so nice and thoughtful. Mm -hmm. Then, yeah. 
that game's going, different human being. Totally different human being. I mean, my conversations with Bobby Hurley now are like, I mean, when when the lights go on, he's just, it was him, Larry Stacy. There was guys like that when the lights go on. It was, they're a different different person. Most games you've ever worked in a year? Uh, 105. What, what's that like on your body? Um, it's not, you know, I was a little bit younger then, so it wasn't, uh, didn't feel like it was that big of a, it, it, actually the body is, it's the mind that's, it, it's harder on your mind than it is the body. Cause what? you gotta be mentally, you gotta be mentally prepared for it every night. Um, I work out no way. I work out no matter. I still do. I still work out four or five days a week. So I remember when I didn't have a game for two, three, four days and I came back, I felt like I was rusty. So, but again, once you work that many games, it's the mental part that's, that's way worse than the physical part. If you're in good shape, if you're not in good shape and you, you know, you have something that's hurting, you're, you got a knee or ankle or hip or whatever. That's hard. That's really hard to, to be focused mentally. Yeah, because that that's the that's the criticism, right? Is yeah. the criticism is you guys can work as many games you want. When you were the biggest referee in college basketball, people want you on every night. And the fear is that, hey, I got him on the fifth game in five nights and he's not as mentally sharp. Um what what would your pushback be if somebody said, Hey, in our game, you weren't as sharp because you worked the last three nights? See, I, I I don't I don't buy that. I think you're more. I think you're sharper because you see more plays. It's like you taking jump shots every single day, or shooting free throws. You're sharper. The, the more you shoot, the better you are. Uh, I I think that's the way my mentality is. If I work, I I would say a guy works four to five days a week. I think it's perfect. Um, again, I always say it's two hours a day that you're working as your referee, and and I don't think that's really that difficult. If you are uh, if you're, you again, you got to be mentally and physically sharp. You got to be. Um, uh, you you got to. You, you do have to do some studying on your teams that you play and the coaches that you have. Uh, so that part of it is you know outside the two hours. But I, I would rather have a guy that's working four or five days a week than the guys work once a week because that guy isn't he hasn't seen enough plays. It, I said to the young guys, oh, you got to keep seeing plays. You got to see plays. You got to be in, put yourself in situations because you learn by experience. And the more experience you have, the better off you are to make a decision in a tough time. So, something that I think you said, which I completely agree with. And I, and you know me, like I made a mm-hmm. clip about you in an NCAA tournament game. I've been on TV hard mm-hmm. on officials on, on, on a play here or there. But there's a way in which we, and I don't think it's just officials, right? Government officials, teachers, um, how we look at people, anybody who's in authority, police officers, um, our lack of kind of societal respect for who they are and, and what they what they do. You you did it for a long time, uh, and I know you've been kind of outspoken on how. Like, look, the reason we have a referee shortage is why would anybody want to put themselves in a position where I'm actually, I drive by, there's a place where called the maps where we play 
a weekend or two weekends a month. And that was where, you know, you have one girl punch another girl and then the parents go after the official. Um, how has it changed from your perspective in terms of how people treat officials during your 30 years of doing it at the highest level? Well, at the lower level, it's, it's, it's crazy. I think it's the money part at these, all these tournaments, but they put together the money part of it. People think they can say and do what they want to do because they paid for their kid to play on this, on this basketball team. So they think they have the right to say what they want to say to their, to the referees. Like they, they think that their Johnny is going to be the next uh, Michael Jordan, Kevin Durant, but you know, 99.9% of them aren't going to be those people. It's gotten brutal compared to the past. Of course, I mean, back when I was playing a little, I mean, it was CYO basketball. No, no parents said a word. And in fact, half the parents didn't even come. That, that was just hit too many kids or they, that's just what they didn't do. They dropped their kid off and they play and be, be done. Now every parent's got to go to everything and they got to have a voice about everything. And it's, it's unfortunate for the kids if, uh, um, because they're embarrassed of kids. If, if you ask a kid about it now and they're here, a kid talk about their parents that says something to the referee or the coach, they're embarrassed by it. Um, it's gotten really bad. I mean, that, that a couple of years ago where my 16 year old son and I, he didn't, his partner didn't show up for a game and they were refereeing uh, some freshmen and they were really bad freshmen. <laughs> and this kid, tells me to fuck off and you suck. And after he fouled out, I mean, he's terrible. This kid couldn't play dead in a cowboy movie. And uh, he, and I, I, that just, I couldn't believe it. And I found out his dad was a coach and he, he's acceptable to what the kid did. It was sad, really sad. Wait, so you hopped in with your son? My son. A yeah. A, like it was freshman, bad freshman. It was one of those, summer camp things or whatever they are over in Iowa. And, and, uh, and, uh, I refereed the game and it was this kid, their team was not very good. It was, uh, but they were just beat the hell out of the other team and the other, they actually team came back and beat them. It was, neither team was any good. Um, but this, this kid just kept following and we kept calling fouls and the coach started saying stuff and I stopped him and I whacked him. And then the kid did, and I whacked him. And then he, as he had got his fifth foul, he walked out. He's 10 foot from me, flipped me off. He said, you fucking suck. This is a 14-year-old kid saying that to me. I was like, oh, boy. This is, so I ended the game, and uh, we threw the coach out. And, and he denied that he didn't, know, he didn't know the kid. And it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. And that's sad part of our society. And that, that's, why, well, I, that's why majority of people don't stay in refereeing. Yeah, no, it's I, I, it's a terrible part of our society. It's the, it's the your kid gets in trouble in school, and you find out, do you confront the kid and make him you know apologize, make change, or do you ask the kid and then call the teacher or call the principal like the teacher did something wrong? That's right. what we do. Yeah. I don't know where that comes from. I don't. Need, I don't I have no idea where it's coming from. I don't. It wasn't like that in my, in, when I was growing up. I, I had, we had nuns in my grade school and, and high school. And, and whatever they did, that hell, they beat the hell out of you. And my mom did never say anything to them. Never. And you did something wrong, obviously. Um, but that's, uh, that's just the society today. I don't know why it changed or how it changed, but it's changed. That's for sure. We, 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 you talked about Allen Fieldhouse, what a cathedral it is. Why does it feel like? 
for road teams that they don't get a fair end of the shake? I, I don't know. That's a good question. I've had people always said, oh, you know, if, if you look on these boards of, of uh, different universities, oh, Higgins is a homer for this guy, for this team. And can't say he's a homer for there. And Oklahoma, he's a homer and blah, blah, blah. Every school says the same thing about officials. Like they, I used to hear that about the Kansas. The funny thing is I used to get phone calls at our office from people from Kansas and say, why do you hate Kansas so bad? You know, they get beat by Kansas State or get beat by somebody, and I had the game. It's just – it's uh, I don't know. I don't think it's true. It's just – they've had good teams. They've had good players. I mean, you can't deny that. They won national championship. They win 30 games a year. It doesn't matter where they play. Um, I don't, it's just – and that's just, it's just like that. Any team that's winning, winning, winning. Do you love Selena? Like, really love whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to Stan, the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What is it like to, with the momentum of crowds? I, again, all of these games, the home crowd gets going. You are a human being. How do you, how do you or maybe how do you teach younger officials not to get caught up in the, in the crowd and the, the energy and let it affect them? See, I think I think just the opposite. I think I'd like to, you know, if it's a tough call and goes against the home team and they're booing the hell out of you, that kind of makes you feel good. And I, I just, I just, I don't know why. It just makes like, hey, screw them. I, I'm right on the play. I don't care what they think. I'm right on the play. And you know, majority of the time we are right. They, uh, unfortunately for them, that the, um, you know, referees are, you know, for the most, the good ones are good. Eighty-five, ninety percent of the time are pretty, pretty much correct, but. I like that feeling of the, the home crowd coming down to, on you. I really do. Yeah, I mean, the, the only other guy who was like that that I remember, but now I didn't like having him as official because I thought he had too much rabbit ears on the little stuff, was Dave Libby. Oh, yeah. Dave, Li Dave Libby was the guy, though, that if you were on a, a road team and yeah. the home players or coaches or a fan pissed him off, yeah, then he would – you feel like, all right, because he was the only guy in four years of college basketball who was on the scanner report. Libby's doing the game. Libby's doing the don't, game. Don't say do that. Don't say a word. Don't stare at him. Don't do shit. Yeah. And my, by the way, my last college basketball game was the Elite Eight. Florida beat, Florida beat us, but he, he banged coach with a T. And all coach said was, that's the same call you made against Oklahoma. And it was bad then, and it's bad now. That's all he said, and he rang him up in the NCAA tournament. 
Wow. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you in charge. Now you're now you're overseeing you know the West Coast. First, like why 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 hang them up? Why why go to well, the administrative level? Um, that's a great question. Um, they came to me at the Final Four and asked me if I'd be interested. So I'm like, well, okay, yeah. What is it? What, what what's the job entail? Uh, so I, you know, these jobs. First of all, these jobs don't come open very often. Uh, and I just thought my wife has been after me for years about when are you going to give it up? When are you going to give it up? When are you going to give it up? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what, when the time comes. And then they, they, this opportunity came up and I thought, well, let me take a look and shot at it. And then when I, I don't, I don't know if I'm trying to give back or trying to just, um, that's a good question. I could have got, I could have refereed another three, four, five years. I, I could have, I don't know. How much? Do you miss it? Yeah, I do. I do miss the court. I do. Yeah, I do miss the court. Yeah, I do. That's the fun part. I like going to the games now. Has, any, has anyone ever come like 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 boxers come out of retirement? Have yeah. officials ever come out of retirement? Uh yeah. Oh yeah, I know. There, Mike Littlewood like went to baseball, coach baseball at BYU for eight, ten years. He just came back two years ago. Yeah, yeah. He's a high level official too. So. Yeah, you never say never. You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. Well, with the you know, with all what's happening in all of college sports, who knows what's going to happen with you know? Since the pack is basically dissolved after I got the job, um, yeah. you don't you don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what if, I don't know if I'm going to have a job next year. I don't know any of that stuff. So I don't know. We'll see. You take a job to oversee a conference, and then the conference yeah. goes away. Yeah. So like, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what, what the hell just happened? What, what did I do? So it is what it is. And uh, whatever happens, happens. There's a reason. Uh, I got, I got two more for you. One, I give you your own rule book. John's John Higgins rule book. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a long time, you know, a chapter and verse. What would you, ch- what would you change? What would you bring back? What, what would you do if you got a chance to change the, the rule book. Well, first off, I'll make it way simpler. Uh, you know, have you, have you ever read the rule book? Yes. So I, so I had Jay Billis last year at, at uh, a fundraiser in Oman. I was the MC with, with him. And, and he's obviously a very intelligent guy and attorney by trade. And, and I said, Jay, have you ever read the rule book? Yeah. I said, how could do you, could you understand this rule book? No, I can't understand it. You got to make it way simpler. Because there's exceptions to every rule, and there's exceptions to the exceptions to that rule, so it, it needs to be much simpler. Um, make more straightforward. Uh, there's a lot of rules that you could. And there's so many petty rules that you, none of us know. But and, and I know one thing: coaches don't know them for sure. You could tell a coach, "That's the rule, coach," and he goes, "Oh, okay, that's the rule, okay," and they have no, they had no idea. So make it make it simpler would be the first thing I would do, um, but no specific rules that you no, that, that you. No, no, I mean, like like the end of like the other day the Georgetown game. I you saw that the guy got guy yes, stepped out of out. bounds. So if you can do you can do it every other or all these sports football whatever they go back on scoring play especially at the end of, of games. 
They go back and say, oh, no, the ball was out on the 12-yard line with 15 seconds to go on the clock. That's, that score doesn't count. Why can't we do that in basketball? That play would never count it. They would have put the ball back in the play with one second to go, other team's ball. Game one, other team would have won the game. We can't do that in basketball. We can, we can go look at it. You know, if the ball goes out of bounds with, between two people and it goes out of bounds to kick to see who hit it off of, but on that part, and you don't have a whistle, the biggest key is you don't have a whistle. So you can't look. Well, let me, let me ask you this, though, okay? What about if there was a foul that pushed him out of bounds that wasn't called and he stepped out of bounds? Like, there, there's the real, there's yeah, the real tricky part. Can't go, you still right? can't go look if you don't have a whistle. I, I understand, but what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, if there's a little of Pandora's box, Right? Can you go back and call a foul that wasn't oh. there to make up for the fact that only if it's flagrant? Like I can't go call a common foul. I mean, again, I, I, I'm, I'm, I know you can't. I'm saying, should you well, be I, able to? Well, I, I, I think I'm giving you, you the, the complete autonomy. Yeah. Okay, so that's different. So you think if you go back and you see a foul that you didn't previously see, you should be able to call that foul? Again, I'm not saying it's a rule now. I'm saying if it was the John Higgins, this is how I would do it, rule book. Is that what your rule book would say? Common sense. I think make it simpler. I think I think you should, if you, all good officials are common sense guys, referee common sense. Again, if you don't, I mean, coaches are common sense most of the time. They don't want the nitpick things. And I. that's why I would referee. That's what I want guys to referee. Last thing, and even more than gracious in your time. Um, because you are such a high-ranking official, because of the <laughs> hair, and because you do have that kind of inner inner prick where I'll make the big call on the road, and you had your own style of block charge, you're you're forever going to be a guy like oh, I I hate mm-hmm. that guy. W- what would you say to somebody who meets you on the street and a, a little bit like our conversation? Uh, you don't remember mm-hmm. it's Arizona Belmont. Right. This is what happened. Belmont, Arizona was kicking mm-hmm. the crap out of Belmont. And a kid from Arizona, God, I can't remember the kid's name. I think he's from LA. He hit a three and he turned around to the bench and yeah, said, bitch, yeah, whacked or something him. like that. And you, yeah. and you teed him. Mm-hmm. You whacked him. And I said, and this is what I said at the time. I was like, ah, that's a call from a guy. Yeah, that I remember that. Right. And you came up to me at the restaurant. Right? And, and you came up to me. <laughs> You know, like, hey, just so you know, my dad was a coach, played my whole life, played Division Two basketball, whatever. <laughs> like, this is what he said. It's the right call. But to somebody who doesn't know you, who doesn't get a chance to have the personal interaction, what would you tell them about who you really are as a person as opposed to who you were as an official? Uh, yeah. Oh, boy, that's um I'm I'm probably way kinder, nicer in in as a person outside of the basketball court than I am on the basketball court. Uh, we you know we do a lot of charitable things here in in our town, and I, and I do a lot of things for a guy that got me into officiating. He's lived in an apartment complex of mine for years and years and years. I just helped him move back into his apartment after three months in the hospital. 
Um, and my wife is a, she's very charitable. Our, our whole family's done that. We do, we, we give to a bunch of Catholic organizations and, and, uh, we volunteer a bunch. So I, I don't know. That's the kind of person where we do a, a Madonna fund, fundraiser thing. If that's what you're trying to ask. No, I, I think, I think it's more like, here, here's how I would, I would, I would sell you. It's like, just like Fran mm-hmm. McCaffrey I'm different. can be a complete, complete, complete mm-hmm. lunatic mm-hmm. during a game. Right. And then when you meet Fran McCaffrey, like that's one yeah. of the kindest human beings I've yeah. ever met. Right. When, when we're in that arena, totally. we take on our roles. Totally. Right. And, and, and part of your, and I'll also say you're, you were hardened by the years of being told oh, how yeah, terrible you, are. you were. Right. That can, sure that can harden yeah. anybody. Amen. Yeah. You know, that's true. I, I, it, it did over the years at first, you, you know, if you took it literally, you'd be, you'd be a mental case. You'd be totally a mental case. And, uh, if you took it, how bad you were and how what a piece of shit you are. And, and you're, 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 a, you're awful. You're the worst referee in the history of the basketball. And if you took that, if you listen to that shit all every day, you'd be, you'd be in a mental ward. Um, but I'm, you know, they, you know, nowadays I'm, I, I'm just like everybody else. I like to go drink it, have a, have a drink or two every other night and then go socialize and, and be a, be just a, be a normal person. I like, I love just, I like, I love going to my lake house, just sitting there and do nothing or go and mow the lawn. I love mowing the lawn. I love keeping my yard looking pretty. I love that. It's, it's so mindless. It's um, wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get you free drinks. Okay. What is your Gin go-to tonic. drink? Tangerine tonic, lemon lime, tall glass. <laughs> okay. Because I guarantee how many basketball people listen to this pod and they're going to roll up on you and they'll be like, you know what? I got this one. That's he right. wants a gin and tonic. Amen. You know, that, 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 that's, that's how the sport works. Last thing. Who's the GOAT? Who, from referee to referee. You're one of the most decorated referees in the history of the sport. Who is the guy who you believe is the Referee? best to ever do? Probably Jimmy Burke. Yeah. yeah. He, he had the courage. And I know you probably maybe didn't like him because you had him at Notre Dame, but he was, no. he was, he had the toughness. Yeah. He had great courage. He had great uh, ability to um, take a game over it needed to. Uh, he wasn't the, probably the guy that would communicate the best with everybody, but, uh, other than that, he was a, he was a great play caller, <laughs> and he had he had that it factor that um, um, that would that that not a lot of people have. Him and Timmy Higgins, Ted Hillary, there's you know there's a boatload of guys. This is my favorite Tim Higgins story. Okay, so remember he did my games a bunch of Notre Dame, and um, I got to know all you guys on on a couple of these. The mm-hmm. tournaments are the yeah. best because that's when you yeah. run into the reps and. Puerto Rico and Hawaii, whatever. But I, we did a game at Louisville. And I think it was actually first of January. We did Louisville, Cincinnati, January 1 game. And it was an early game. And um, uh, he beats me to the airport. And he's sitting at the airport bar. And I roll in and, he, and we're watching a game. And it goes double overtime. And he turns to me and he says, Mr. Gottlieb. Do you know what we call double overtime and officiating? And I said, uh, n- no, no, Mr. Higgins. What do you call it? He's a bad, bad officiating. Bad officiating. Huh, that's true. I sent that. 
So that so one of my guys <laughs> yesterday they refereed a double overtime game and I sent him a text. I went I said, You guys are fired at two overtime. Bad officiating. <laughs> so. We don't That's get right. paid by the hour, That's we right. get paid by the game. That's right. Let's wrap this shit up. Let's wrap this shit up. Uh perfect timing. Hey, uh listen, I truly you appreciate you joining me. Kind of letting people yeah. behind the curtain. And and the relationship that we've been able to kind of build through, through the years. So uh, on the road, I owe you a, you got it, a gin and tonic. And and in the meantime, thanks thanks so much. You for, bet, bud. For, for you bet, pal. Take care. We'll see you down the road here. That's it for my John Higgins interview. I hope you enjoyed it. If you missed part one, download it. Make sure you write a review. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you rate the pod as well. Um, and if you liked it. Tweet it out. Send it to a friend. Tell me you dig all ball. Tell me why you dig all ball. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is all ball. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.